Okay, I want to tell you a, a, a story, a true story. Uh, some months ago, uh, I went fishing and uh, went to Abbott's uh, Barton, uh, fairly close to here. Um, and uh, fishing, uh, I, to be honest, I thought would be, it would be really easy. We had a, had a lesson and um, went out and stood around the lake. And what I uh, realized was this, that the, the safest... Um, uh, the safest people around the lake were the fish, actually, because actually as I went fishing, what I realized, I found out it was a lot harder than, uh, than the person who was showing me, saying, oh, this is really easy, all you need to do this. And what you do is you flick uh, the, the rod like that, and the line goes out, and it lands just next to the fish, and the fish goes, oh, that'd be nice, I'll have some dinner, and then you reel it in, and it's, that's, that's how it's supposed to happen. So what was happening was, I was flicking the rod, and, uh, uh, and the line was going behind me, it's supposed to go like that, but all that was happening was, I was catching the fence, I caught the fence... I caught the fence twice, I caught several bushes, and what was happening behind me is people were walking behind me and they were saying, what on earth is he doing? And I think them, they were saying, actually, I think he's fishing for men. Good, so we are unveiling a new comedy double act this morning, and... Um... And of course, there are always, there's always a straight man in every comedy double act, you know, Ernie Wise, uh, Stan Laurel, uh, Hale and Pace, two straight men in a double act. Um, so what we're going to do today, uh, Steve and I, as you can obviously tell, is that we're going to um, tag team this a little bit under this heading, Fishers of Men. And uh, what we're going to be doing is looking at two... Um, powerful, uh, famous, and actually quite iconic um, stories from Scripture, stories, passages from Scripture. And what we'll find out is that they stand as um, like bookends to the Great Commission. If you're new to church, the Great Commission is this mandate that Jesus left with the church to fill the earth with the sound of heaven Uh, with the love of God, the message of the kingdom of heaven, um, what we call the gospel. And uh, these two accounts are very powerful moments where Jesus interacts uh, with his disciples. Unfortunately, the Great Commission has become the great suggestion uh, in a lot of of churches, not in this church. Um, It's become something which we bolt onto the side of lots of other things that the church engages in and achieves, but really it needs to be right at the heart of everything that we're about. So here's the first passage, and then Steve's going to read the second passage. Here it is up on the screen. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a bit farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. A very famous story which is rich in meaning and significance as Jesus calls a group of fishermen as his first followers. Very interesting. 
not called as sales reps. They weren't called to flog a message for profit. But they were called to engage with the hurting. That's what Jesus called them to do. And as I said a moment ago, to fill the earth with divine purpose. If you're here as a fir- for the first time today, this isn't about uh, a message that we're trying to convince you to buy from us or a product we're convincing you to purchase from us, but rather seeking to empower the church to do what Jesus asked us to do. The call was very specific to these men. It's never a one-size-fits-all approach, but rather it is the perfect and pleasing will of God for anyone who would humble themselves, himself or herself. It was true then, and it's true today. Steve. So the second passage is from John chapter 21, and it's the first six verses, and this is what it says, and it will be behind me on the screen. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Some suggest that John uh, chapter 21 appears to be, have been added after the natural end of the gospel. And yet, it must be there for a purpose. And I believe it's there because of what the incident would have meant to Jesus' first disciples. In the days, weeks, and years after this fishing trip, they'd have understood that the resurrected Jesus was giving them some last advice about being fishers of men. When Jesus encounters the disciples on the shore that day, he has been raised from the dead. Everything has changed. And one commentator says that this incident becomes a parable of their impending work and ours. Mm. Jesus was an expert fisher of men and always intended for us to carry on what he started. And today, we're going to unpack this first mark of Jesus and explore why and how Jesus makes us fishers of men. Okay, so back to the first passage. Very famous, very well known to a lot of us, I guess. Jesus calls these men in the context of their daily life. They're not at Bible college, they're not in a ministry training program. They are doing what they do. This is an ordinary day for them. Possibly it's mundane. Maybe they're not expecting anything out of the ordinary to take place. They're not expecting a 
life-changing encounter, which is undoubtedly what happened. Maybe they were. Maybe there was something that was already sown in their hearts. Maybe they were expecting that this was the day of days. Maybe this was the moment where they stepped out of the ordinary and into the spectacular. We never get to know that. It's crucial for us to understand that follow me is a relational invitation. It's not an authoritarian order. Jesus wasn't barking an order from the side of the lake, from the shoreline. But rather it was an invitation. It was an invitation to join. It was an invitation to follow. It was an invitation to power share with what Jesus was about to do publicly for three years. The call of God on our lives, whatever that looks like, it's always relational. In fact, it's actually intimate as well. It's deeply personal, but it's not always easy. There is almost always a cost. But the promise of God is that he will never require more from us than what we can deliver. I want to say as well that this moment at the beginning of the gospel is actually something, there's something very powerful in it about these guys, about their ability to respond, their ability to engage with the mission, the call, the invitation from Jesus. This is probably not their first encounter with Jesus, but undoubtedly it is the pivotal one. It is the game changer. It's the day where they step out and they get grafted in to what Jesus is all about. They are about to be invited on the ultimate three-year apprenticeship. The, The call was very specific, but the cost was enormous. We get to see what they had to engage with, the price they had to pay to do what they are doing. Sometimes they returned to the lake. This wasn't the end of fishing, as we know, because of the second passage. That's at least one example of the disciples doing what they did, doing their work in life, engaging with the skill set that they obviously possessed. So it wasn't a call out of one thing and then into something else. It wasn't a massive bridge-burning operation in terms of what they were practically engaging, but definitely it was a bridge-burning moment in terms of the heart and where they were and where their priorities were. Certainly we know as a result of this that probably Zebedee and Sons Limited is no more as a result of what Jesus has asked these guys to do. I wonder what happened to the old man and his retirement plan. You know, we don't get to know about that. But at the very heart of the gospel, right here at the beginning of this amazing epic account of the life and times of Jesus and the disciples, right at the very heart of it is the invitation to go. It's right at the center of the gospel always. It is the invitation to step in and step out of what you are doing into something else and to go, to be empowered to live a changed life. Just seeing these guys that have been baptized quite recently, it's very powerful what happens when this transformation takes place. And similarly, when Jesus calls us to be involved in this work of fishing for men, right at the heart of it 
is the invitation to go. I want to say also that go, the invitation to go, the invitation to follow has got very little to do with travel. Sometimes that is what it has become synonymous with. But but, but more it's about a challenge to engage with people groups and spheres of influence, and it's about society. It's about us engaging with the people that are around us, to making the most of every opportunity, to live missional lives within the spheres of influence that we find ourselves in day to day. Follow me is also a daily choice. It was a daily choice for those guys. It wasn't always easy, and it still is a daily choice, and it still isn't easy, and many of you know what that feels like. On one occasion, Peter, who we'll talk a little bit about um, this morning, on one occasion he said, I'm fed up, I'm going fishing. Sometimes it will be painful, but it is the adventure of a lifetime. It is the ultimate adventure. It is the invitation of Jesus for us to engage with what he is doing, what he is about to see spiritual transformation in people's lives and in areas of society. It's a great adventure, and it is a step out into the fresh air of risk. So if there's an invitation, there's also inclusion. You see, Jesus was telling them and is telling us that there's a part to play. We all have a part to play. We are all included. And when Jesus says, I will make you, the word you is plural. I will make you plural fishes of men. It's for all of us. And it may seem obvious to us now today in 21st century Britain what Jesus meant in the light of the Great Commission. But what would Peter and Andrew and James and John have understood by the phrase fishes of men? Here's a couple of things I think that would have shaped how they responded. The first thing was this, that they knew that fishing was a family business. I don't know about you, what do you think about when you go fishing? My my first recollection of going fishing was in West Wales. We'd gone to stay uh, on holiday, and uh, we were on this campsite, mobile home campsite, and uh, there's a river that runs uh, through the campsite. And uh, uh, fishing was free. You didn't need to pay for it. So my dad went and bought a rod and some spinners. And uh, I remember him taking me fishing on this river. It was great fun. I was really excited about it. We went there and my dad, so my dad was my role model. And so essentially what happened was this. We were uh, standing by uh, this uh, beautiful, beautiful little river as it flowed uh, through the campsite. And uh, my dad was standing by the side. And you can see these trout... Uh, swimming along. I mean, we saw this great big trout over there. We could see it. And my dad has got the the, the, the rod and he flicks uh, the line. The line goes out, lands near the the fish, reels it in, and fish pays absolutely no attention at all. Absolutely no attention. And actually, in fact, the fish comes and swims it. And after about 20 minutes of teasing us, and um, we're getting absolutely, you know, my dad absolutely lost it. And at that moment, my dad did what every fisherman should never do. He jumped in the water. <laughs> he went like that. He went and was trying to catch this fish. Now, I want to tell you that um, he didn't catch the fish. 
And uh, I learnt uh, all about all my skills from fishing from my father. So you, <laughs> you can tell that we never made any money on it. This isn't the mental image that would have been conjured up in the minds of Peter and Andrew and James and John. People did fish alone, but most of the time they fished with others. For Peter and Andrew, it was a family business. Someone once said this, a person coming to Christ is like a link with many chains or uh, like a stitch in the net. There are many influences and conversations that precede a person coming to know Jesus Christ. Someone who's uh, been, uh, become a Christian in recent months, it uh, started like this, that a, a good friend of theirs many years ago became a Christian, and they've been sharing their faith with them uh, off and on over many years, been praying for them. Much more recently, they came across uh, a neighbor, a neighbor who uh, was a member of another church, was, was talking to this person and suggested it would be really good with your questions that you do, uh, go and do Alpha. This person found out that Alpha was happening here and uh, through Alpha got to know Steve and the Alpha team. On Alpha, uh, they did Alpha, and at the end of Alpha, they did Alpha Plus and got to know myself, Jonathan, and the rest of the team. On Sundays, they started coming to church here and found that everybody here was really welcoming. And on one Sunday, not so long ago, uh, someone in the church had the privilege of leading them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The point is this, God rarely uses just one person to bring someone through to Christ. Why? It's a family business. In Jesus' day, fishing involved everyone from the youngest to the older, oldest. Our togetherness results in fruitfulness. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this, If we love one another, it will show uh, peop other people the reality of God in our lives. There is something about our togetherness that is really attractive and is part of what God does when he reaches out to those outside who don't know him. You see, remember, it's not our responsibility for people to respond to the gospel. Shoving it down people's throats never works. Jumping into the river to catch the fish doesn't work. It doesn't work. When we get that, fishing is a family concern. It releases us to focus on being good parts of the net. We need each other. Like parts of a body. That's how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. All of us have a part to play in this. And we're at our most effective when our different strengths work together. So they would have associated uh, fishing as a family business. But secondly, they would have associated fishing with nets and not a rod. See, in our individualistic society, everything is about me. We read the Bible through a personal filter uh, when, by and large, it was written to groups of people and had to be applied corporately. You see, pragmatically, they used nets because you caught more fish. And that's why, as a church, we do what we do. Our mums and toddlers group, the Ark, and, and our Thursday evening soup service involve teams who together are throwing out the nets. 
Events like the King's Chamber Orchestra at Christmas or our uh, face-to-face ladies uh, sparkle evening are part of the church's family business. As we invite someone to Alpha, we're just helping throw the net out. You see, when uh, uh, someone in school invites one of their, when you invite one of your uh, friends from school and you invite them to youth, you are part of a family business. As they come along to a youth group and as they uh, join in with what's going on, um, it's part of what we do as a family together. When they uh, come along to New Day and they take that first step to come to know Jesus Christ and then they come back and they get baptized and uh, uh, that happens here in front of us and we've seen examples of that happen over, uh, over the last years. As they do that, their family come in to see uh, their, their teenager get baptized and then the process starts all over again. You see, fishing is a family business. Being a fisher of men is a family business. As we show people the love of God, whether it's by making cakes or soup for the soup service, cooking a meal at Alpha, setting up or clearing away for the ark, cleaning the toilet, serving on a welcome team, we are helping the gospel net be thrown out. We all have a part to play. Let's keep looking for ways to fish with a net. What's God speaking to us about? What part can we play? God wants us to be included. But it's more than just inclusion. There's an issue of inspiration. You see, Jesus is looking to inspire these these guys. The truth is, a catch is important. The more fish, the better. When we say it doesn't matter if we catch any fish, it's the experience that counts, Jesus doesn't know what we're talking about. It does matter. In Proverbs it says, in a multitude of people is a king's glory. Jesus is most glorified when many people come to know him. It says in the Bible that uh, that God, his Father, wants to see, because of his son's death on the cross, he wants to see many sons come to glory. It does matter. Jesus himself said, the harvest is plentiful. The issue is the workers. The workers are few. And so if we get out into the harvest field, there will be a harvest in due season. There just will. And so the the, the sad thing is that if no one responds on Alpha, for example, we tend to think like this, oh, what a pity, as if we've just wasted our time. And if we become disappointed about fishing for men, it results in our energy and motivation being sapped. And a church that becomes infected with this sort of disappointment starts to focus on fellowship. Because somehow we think it's not working. Actually, Jesus says we need, he encourages us, he wants to inspire us to be out there in the harvest field. You see, he inspires us because fishing is a messy business. Fishermen went home smelling of fish. Being a fisher of men means getting your hands dirty because people's lives have been ruined by the devil. We're called to be like Jesus who was a friend of sinners. 
When people come to faith, it's a messy process. And when people get baptized here on a Sunday, it's not because their lives are now all sorted out. Because none of our lives are all sorted out yet. People are getting baptized not because they're good enough. They're getting baptized because he's good enough. It's true, isn't it? Absolutely true. Jesus reminds us that it's all, it's worth it in the end. So we need to clean ourselves up and we need to get out there and go again. When you're fishing with nets, you catch all sorts of fish. Sometimes you have to throw some back because they're too small or they're not edible. You see, sometimes when people come to church or they go to an alpha and uh, they don't enjoy it, we just have to let them go. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. It's not failure. God's overseeing the whole thing. God's desire is that all people are saved, we're told in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's just not the right time. And we need to keep praying for them. So our aim should be to make every contact with people from outside the church a positive one. Jesus is inspiring us that fishing is a messy business, but he's also inspiring us to get up and go again. You see, fishing was exhausting and frustrating work. The disciples were tired. It was a hard night's fishing and they caught nothing. Suddenly they hear a voice, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find fish. They didn't recognize that it was Jesus. Even though Peter had been through a really similar experience earlier, and you can read that in Luke chapter 5. So why did they throw their nets down at the advice of a stranger? Something about his voice inspired confidence. You see, whatever the reason, the miracle wasn't the huge catch of fish, because everyone knows fish swim in shoals. The miracle was Jesus knew where the fish were. He still does. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Maybe you feel uh, that you've been working hard but caught nothing. Maybe we're disappointed that people we love who seemed interested once in Jesus aren't showing any interest anymore. God wants us to be ready to throw the nets out again. He wants us to listen to what he's saying. God's devising ways to save people. That's what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. Let's do what he says. Jesus says, follow me, follow me, follow Jesus. Look to Jesus and I will make you fishers of men. It's about relationship with him. There's nothing like a catch to revive flagging energy levels. I was reading uh, about the writer Mark Twain who uh, uh, wrote stories, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, way back at the turn of the 20th century. And uh, he used to love fishing. He loved going fishing, and he loved going fishing because he loved to rest. And so he would go, and he'd love to lie by the, the bank, banks of the river and fish. But the problem was he didn't. What he found frustrating was actually when he caught a fish, and it spoiled his rest. And so what he used to do, he would go and lie by the banks of the river. He'd have his rod with a stick against it and have the line in the river. But there was no hook on the fish, uh, uh, to catch the fish on the, on the line. Because he didn't spoil his rest. Let me say, sometimes we can be a little like that. It's actually a little uncomfortable for us. It's a little messy. And so we just, we don't, ah. Jesus says, come on. 
Come on, we can do this. Tom Wright in his commentary says this, Jesus has given his followers a strange and striking commission. They're to work for him. They're to be filled with God's breath, to be sent out into the world as Jesus had been. But if they try to do it their own way, they'll fail. They'll toil all night and take nothing. The only way is for them to admit defeat, to listen afresh to Jesus' voice, and to do what he says. Then there's no knowing what they will achieve. Stand in your mind's eye with the disciples in the boat. What projects have you been laboring over and getting nowhere? Watch for the dawn. Watch for the figure on the shore. Listen for his voice and then do whatever he tells you. Love that Mark Twain story. Brilliant. So uh, implementation is the next thing. How does it work? What do we have to do? It's good to be invited. It's nice to be included. It's important to be inspired. But how do we implement some of these things? Well, we've got to look at the way they did it. We've got to look back into these stories and see exactly how it worked. Um, I've been involved in evangelistic ministry for 30 years. Um, I, it doesn't mean that I stand here as some kind of appointed, self-appointed expert, um, but I have been involved in an awful lot of uh, events and festivals and projects and missions over the years. And one of the things that is marked out what I've been involved in is that a lot of um, working class guys have been added to what I'm about and I think the reason for that is because I've used kind of trucks and stages and vehicles and that sort of stuff and boys like to play with trucks and uh, it's been great over the years to have so many people that have not always found it easy to connect with church as they have found it um, in different places but seem to have found a home working with me and some of the things that we have done. It's extremely important for us to understand that um, uh, the Bible is not a religious textbook. It's more a manual for life. It's a living handbook. It's not something that we can read and therefore get from it certain principles that are going to work in every situation and in every context. But what it is important to understand is that the Bible, certainly these passages that we're reading today, uh, they are written in the language of the ordinary. And uh, people often say to me, particularly on Alpha courses, they say, look, Steve, you know, it's not that I don't believe. It's not that I don't have a faith in God or I don't believe that there is something somewhere out there. The problem is, is that I'm not a religious type. I don't sort of do religion. And... Uh, I sometimes help them to understand that there is something very powerful and earthy and real about the way Jesus communicated and also the language that the Bible is written in. So what we're reading today, just a quote, a literal, a sentence of what we have read today is in the NIV, it's the New International Version of the Bible, it's modern but it's a few decades old now, and uh, this expression, friends, have you caught any fish? Um, it can feel sort of slightly patronizing, 
um, slightly religious, um, but if you go back into the authorized version, which is hundreds of years old, this is what it says. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? Now that's even worse, isn't it? But really, I believe, to put it in real kind of, for me, working class language, which I do believe is the way in which it was written, Jesus is more like saying to these guys, boys, have you caught any fish today? How's it working out for you today, fellas? That's the heart of it. That is the way in which this conversation took place. This is clearly a demoralizing moment for the disciples, this second passage. They're doing what they do. They're trying to outwork what they understand, but they're failing desperately. This is a bad day for fishing. And to be really honest, if you look at the context of what has happened, uh, these guys are not having the best of months. You know, they've lived through the devastation of Jesus dying on a cross. And sure, they are overjoyed now that they've seen Jesus. And this is one brilliant example of them experiencing and interacting with the resurrected Jesus. This is a good day in some ways, but it's in the context of a bad month. Peter, well, he's had a bit of an up and down journey recently. You know, he's made all the big statements, but then he's shattered his commitment to Jesus. Huh? I, I don't get the mime, Clive, sorry. Too close to my cheek. Okay. So Peter has had this devastating moment where he's failed Jesus appallingly. Yeah, sure, Jesus has come back for him and rescued him, but he's had an interesting month. And now they are back in the lake doing what they're doing, but it just isn't working. The plan that they're implementing is not delivering success. These are fishermen, they're trained, they're not stupid. I guess they know what they're supposed to be doing, but it just isn't working. And then Jesus appears from um, on the shoreline, and they don't recognize him. He starts to give them an instruction, throw the net over the other side of the boat. I mean, what are we saying, a meter? What's going to change? You know, this is a bad day for fishing. You know, take the net and throw it. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, great. But they don't even recognize Jesus. This, this could be just some bloke giving advice. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all had some know-it-all, you know, with a, a helpful suggestion, which normally involves stating the flipping obvious. We've all been there. So why does this bit of advice make them change? As Steve said a moment ago, it's because they, they have got a trained instinct after three years to listen and understand and obey the voice of Jesus. But the net has already gone out from the boat and no fish have been caught. Most of us would have just packed up for the day. Boys, it's just not going to work out today. This is not a good day for fishing. The climate's wrong. 
you know, the weather's not right, it's just not going to work out today. But Jesus says, no, try again, do it again. Do what you were doing before, effectively, exactly the same, and see what happens. And they're about to cross a threshold into a whole new dimension of implementation. And they're about to learn a lesson that they are never going to forget. And they're going to need this lesson because the baton is changing hands. And they're going to need to understand the principles of how to succeed in the kingdom of heaven. And it's not about just coming up with some great fresh idea. What Jesus didn't say was that, hey, guys, you're in the wrong lake. You know, pack up the kit. You know, get the boat back on the shoreline, hitch it up onto the four by four, you know, four miles up the lake. You know, that's what you need. You know, you're in the wrong lake. Mm. He didn't do that. Why? Because there was nothing wrong with the lake. There was nothing wrong with the net. There was nothing wrong with the equipment. There was nothing wrong with their ability. There was nothing wrong with the technique. There was nothing wrong with the plan that they were implementing at that time, at that moment, in that way, in that place. They were simply missing an ingredient. That's all. And what was the ingredient? It was the creative, miraculous word from Jesus from the shoreline that was the game changer. It changed everything. Sometimes we give up, and we give up blaming all the wrong factors. There's nothing wrong with our church. There's nothing wrong with this city. There's nothing wrong with the message. There's nothing wrong with the things that we are doing. But maybe on days we lack that ingredient. We lack the intervention of God. We lack the ability to take the miraculous dimension and put it into the heart of what we're about. And we can't do that. We need God to do something that we could not achieve if we spent our whole lives praying for it. It's the missing ingredient. It's that word from the shoreline. It's that creative, supernatural, miraculous intervention from heaven that transforms everything that we're about. I read a quote once, and it was simply this. Revival is about when you do what you've always done, but suddenly it works. Suddenly it works. Why? Because revival, breakthrough, success, church growth, evangelistic fruit is not the product of a great plan. It's the product of an ordinary plan with a great God putting a great ingredient into it. That is the difference. And we need that individually. We need that as a church. We need that in the various departments and ministries of the church. We need the missing ingredient. But I want to say to you today, it's not elusive. It's not something that we've somehow got to spend our lives wishing for, but it will never come. We've got to agree with each other, and we've got to agree with God, and I believe that missing ingredient will be added, and it actually is being added as we speak. So what's the result? Well, the result is a big catch, a big catch. 144 fish. Now, I don't know what that number means. You know, I know 12 is a special number and 12. I mean, we could go on all day talking about what 144 means. But it's a big catch. But it doesn't break the net. And I think that is a really interesting element to this story. 
that net should have busted with what was inside it, but it didn't. And there's something of the promise of God that we will contain the catch if we do it in the right way. But that, that still wasn't the end. The fish are in the net. That's brilliant, but it wasn't the end. Now, the net has got to be hauled in and brought to the shore. And that was a team effort. And it was hard work. You see, it's not all supernatural. It doesn't, you know, sometimes we kind of think, you know, and, and, and sometimes I find it quite difficult, you know, when people say, you know, God's, you know, we pray and God sort of does it. You know, it's all so supernatural that we just need to lock ourselves in prayer meetings and say the right prayers and somehow God will do it. I, I don't believe that's what happened here. And I don't believe it's what will happen for us into the future. There is a miraculous dimension that we are utterly dependent upon. We cannot achieve what we want to achieve without God at the very heart and center of what we are doing. However, God didn't just write it in the sky. He sent Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as the message says, the word moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So we have got something to do as well. It is totally miraculous, but it's also hard work. It also requires our engagement. So just as we come to the end today, two passages, the book ends, remember what I said at the very beginning. One at the very beginning, when Jesus approaches these guys for the first time, possibly, and interacts with them and says, guys, you're not going to do what you're doing anymore. You're going to do something different. You're still going to be fishermen, but you're not going to catch fish. You're going to catch people. I mean, what a chance. What a moment. What an opportunity. What an invitation. But then there were many who were included after that. And Jesus daily inspired them. And he gave them a plan of how it can be implemented. But sometimes it is going to offend the logical mind. Sometimes we're going to do, have to do something which to our own intellect may seem utterly absurd. Throw the net over the other side of the boat. Is, is that the plan? Do what you did before and this time it's going to work? Well, there's a very interesting story in the Old Testament of a guy called Joshua. Joshua is a highly trained military commander. And he is told by God that a, a, a fortified city is going to be taken by a one-week-long tambourine dance. I would have thought that is highly offensive to a military man like Joshua. And that story is called in the Bible, certainly in the, you know, the Bible gets chunked up and is given a title, doesn't it? And uh, that passage is called uh, The Battle of Jericho. Now, that is a misnamed, badly titled story. That is not the battle for Jericho. That is not a battle for a city. That is the battle for the heart of one man. Will Joshua do what is to his own mind is utterly outrageous? I mean, how do you brief a highly trained army about to take a city by the sword? Fellas, there's a new plan. You're not going to like it. You know, I, I know what I've said. I know the training. I know what we're about. But, you know, I'm sorry, but you've got to sort of walk around the city. Well, it's not really walking. It's sort of dancing. And the soldier's going, we don't do dancing. You know, we're working men. We don't really do dancing. You know, we're not very good at standing in rows singing songs off a wall. You know, we do things a little bit different to that. 
But Joshua pushes through and he says, well, you know, there's somebody greater than me in the mix of this. It's not about the leader. It's about the God of the leader. And so they obey God. And Joshua obeys God. And uh, for one week, I mean, dear God, that must have been embarrassing. (laughs) You know, I mean, what were those people in Jericho looking, watching these men, these highly trained, highly, you know, physically at the top of their game, and they're dancing, and they're rattling tambourines, and this is long before the Salvation Army was ever invented. <laughs> but that's what they did. We've got to engage, and we've got to be obedient, and we've got to do what sometimes will not seem logical to us if we're going to push through. And the very final thing that I want to say before we pray, and then Steve's going to finish off, um, is that... Jesus does something right at the very end of that amazing passage in John. And uh, the net is pulled in and, the, and the, the catch is hauled into the shore. And what does Jesus do? He cooks fish and he eats with them. If you ever want proof of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, there it is. Ghosts do not eat fish. This is a physically resurrected Jesus. And he cooks fish and he eats bread and fish. Maybe a reminder of the miracle on the mountain takes them right back and he says look this is not like it was before the first passage it's also in Matthew 4 right at the very beginning the first passage is about moving from the physical to the spiritual but the second passage that we've looked at today is about the great end times harvest it is the promise of what is to come and that the catch is contained the church is enough to hold the harvest that is coming so let's engage I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to worship in a moment. One of the band could come and join us. That would be great. Um, but well, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front um, because we're going to stay together as a body of people, as a family. And uh, in a moment, if you feel that you need to engage with this today and you want to say, yeah, I want to be part of this family business. I want to be part of this fishing business. And uh, then I'm going to ask you to stand. But I'm just going to pray. Why don't we pray together? Father, I thank you uh, for the sense of your heartbeat here today for the sense of your breath upon us, or the work of your spirit. Thank you, Father, that through the difficulties, through the hardships, through the tensions, through the relational crises that some of us have lived through, you are with us, Lord. You are with us, and you are uh, outworking your plan in us as a body, as a family. This is a family business. And so I pray, Lord, for the ones and the twos and the tens and the twenties and the hundreds here, that are wanting to connect, that are being woken up today to the call of being fishers of men. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the very best that we can be. Okay, let's just be silent for a few seconds. If you want to step into the fresh air of risk today and to live this great adventure, to respond to this invitation, why don't you just stand to your feet where you are? Let it be a sign of your intention before God today. I'm in this family business. I want to be a fisher of men. I want my life to count. I don't want to waste my life. I'm stepping in and I'm stepping up.
Father, do something wonderful among us today. Write a story in us individually and corporately that we would not be the same again because of our interaction with you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Steve. Holy Spirit, we ask you to just come. Just pray that you would just anoint each one of us. We want to be so fruitful for you. It's not about us. It's about you. We thank you that you've called us to partner with you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and impart something, faith into our hearts afresh, courage into our souls, boldness to believe what your word says, and to love people with all our heart and soul. Help us do that. It's not about numbers. It's about loving people as you love them. Help us do that. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit. Amen.